Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Red's True Barbecue in Manchester for a live recording of episode 18 of Storytime with Boone. Thank you all for coming. Thanks to Red's for letting us do it again. Thanks to Piston Ed Lager over there. There's a free drink uh, for every one of you. You might even get two, actually. It'd be, it'd be nice, Tim. In fact, you'd probably get half a dozen each, I think, if you play cards right. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for downloading the podcast and subscribing and all that business. The feedback's been amazing, uh, and I'm dead chuffed. I didn't think we'd make it 18 episodes, and when we decided to start it, I thought, probably do one, and then it'll be like, time to sack it off. But 18 in. I am going to take a break for four weeks after this one because we're going to relaunch Mrs. Boone's tea party and she needs me help on that one. So that's, uh, I won't be doing it for four weeks or so. Uh, but my guest tonight, somebody that's become a very close friend of mine over the years and somebody that I still consider to be one of the greatest frontmen this country has ever... Stop it. <laughs> it's enough that I'm here, isn't it? Rick Witzer <laughs> from Shed 7. Yay! Hello. Woo! Yes. So looking as good as ever... Thank you very much. You are, you are I've the... I've got a bit of a paunch at the minute. Nah, I've no wrong with that, mate. You are the indie Peter Pan, aren't you? Well, <laughs> I do look at some other people who are 43 and thank me lucky stars, yeah. Put it that way. 43? <laughs> 43. It's what you are, yeah. <laughs> funny story to start this, because it is all about stories, isn't it? But funny stories, the last time me and Rick were so close together in this part of the world was um, 10 years and 8 months ago in the town hall over there when we got married... And Rick sung at the wedding. He did Chasing Rainbows for me and Mrs Boone at the altar over there. I did. A beautiful rendition. And then what happened? Well, obviously the build-up to this was mental because it's not something I would ordinarily do. Obviously, Clint asked, Charlie asked, would you sing Chasing Rainbows? Uh, your f- friend, what was he called? Michael Porter. Michael played the piano. I'd never met Michael, so basically I'm turning up to Clint and Charlie's wedding... Uh, meeting Michael for the first time, he was going to play piano, Chasing Rainbows, I'm stood up, and I didn't even know at what point you wanted me to do it. Yeah. So I was unaware that it was when you two were stood at the front <laughs> about to exchange rings. Can I just add as well at this point that some of Rick's heroes were in the room, so Peter Ook of New Order was in the room, Manny, Manny, was, there, Manny yeah. was in the room. Yeah, so it was all quite tense for me anyway, so basically I'm stood up, singing Chasing Rainbows to you two, Charlie's in tears, got to the end thinking, thank God for that. I'll, I'll go back to my seat now, like it's been really cool, and tripped over the wire that was plugged into the bloody wall off his piano. So I made a right... Everything went over. myself there. It was amazing. And nothing went over. Well, in my head it did. <laughs> in, in time, I've, I've created this bedlam where everything goes over, including the, the priest. Chinese was The bride. The priest, yeah. I knocked him out. <laughs> Bride's dress gets ripped <laughs> off and everything. So let's start at the beginning. Not a lot of people know this. He was born in Stockport. Rick Witter? Yes, I was, yes. And uh, family, sadly, a lot of them have gone now, but uh, lived in Stockport till I was about six or seven, then moved to Torquay because of my dad's job, then up to Whitley Bay, and then eventually York, which is where I, I consider home, obviously, because my formative years, starting big school, they don't call it that anymore, do they, big school? <laughs> it's an academy now, isn't it, somewhere? Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, uh, I don't really have many memories Right. Of, uh, of growing up in Stockport because I was right. quite young. Childhood in general, what were you into? Were you into football or anything like that? I was into the fall guy, quite, quite like that. I wanted to be Colt Seavers. That was a stuntman, wasn't it? The, the famous yeah. stuntman, yeah. Remember that. Uh, always been into footy and stuff, yeah. Um, 
and because the house always had music on, my dad was a massive music fan, so if we went on car journeys or whatever, there'd always be music. What so, sort of music was it? Well, my dad liked a lot of the, the what was around at the time, really, the chart stuff in the 70s. And, you know, obviously I remember being really young and hearing the Beach Boys and, and loving that, you know, but not realising the importance of it and the Beatles, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and, and my dad was always quite good because he'd always... You know, he'd always, he wouldn't push it on you, but he'd really, he was very encouraging, you know. Yeah. Bought me my first PA when I was about 12 and did the traditional dropping me off at band practices, picking me up. So you got the bug pretty quick then, pretty early on, didn't you? Well, if you had a PA at 12 Archetypal, nine years old, in my bedroom, mirror, airbrush. Amazing. Quiff. The works, yeah. Yeah. How did you do at school? I still do that now, to be honest. Right. <laughs> did, you do, did you do all right at school or were you a bit of a dosser? Uh, School kind of just passed me by, to be honest. You know, I wasn't really mad on school at all, really. Right. I think, you know, me and Paul Banks, guitarist at Shed 7, we met in first year at school. He stopped me on the street on my way to school. I had a grifter, and uh, he wanted to... Rally grifter. It was like a, that, that or a chopper with a popular kind of bike, yeah. really. And he stopped me down the street saying, where did you get your bike from, in an <laughs> aggressive way. And that started Shed 7, basically. Um, but I remember, you know, we, we'd... We'd spend an awful lot of time either in my bedroom or in his bedroom when we were like 13 years old, saying we were in a band and yeah. designing record sleeves, even you know putting the record label at the bottom and having song titles without actually writing anything. We did an awful lot of that. Yeah. So we, at school we used to go around saying, yeah, we're in a band. And I, I do remember one occasion where the, the, the hard knocks from the year, uh, uh, it was a lunchtime, they pinned me down in the playground. Uh, <laughs> We've heard you, you, you're going around saying you're a singer, sing then, but they've got their hand around my neck for a start, <laughs> so it's quite difficult. But luckily the dinner lady uh, rang the bell. Said, Go on, dinner time's over. So that got me out of that. Yeah, similar <laughs> sort of thing. I, I did a lot of that before I was in a, a real band. You, you sort of pretend you're in a band and you tell people the band's name and yeah. all that kind of bollocks. Enam. Enam, yeah, what was that? Something to do with trains? No, it was, uh, it was Banks's obsession with the film Vietnam. Oh, he was right, into okay. all of that at the time, the platoon right, okay. and all that. So he said, why don't we call ourselves Enam? Right, OK. I thought it was a, I know Shed 7 was a train-related name, but I thought that Enam was something to do that as well. No, no, no. That's totally, we've never been very good at uh, band names, to right. be honest with you. <laughs> so Shed 7's a good name, though, isn't it? Well, I don't know. It's, names are weird in bands, aren't they? Because once you've got used to it, you just say it. You don't actually think of it. I mean, U2 isn't the best band name in the world, is it? Simple Minds, it's a rubbish name, but you just say it. it just... What about in Sparrow Carpets? Bloody brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody brilliant, that name. I wish we'd thought of that. So talking of Inspirals, my first memories of Shed 7, I think it'd be about 93, 1993, and we had an agent. I think it was Paul Adam. Was he your agent? Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. Our man, yeah. So he was our... Yeah, he, he, we knew him in the industry, and he started talking about this band, this new band that he'd signed who was looking for a break. And he said, can they do this tour with you? We were about to go on tour, and uh, he said, can they be a support band? And we said, well, send, them, send us some stuff to have a listen to and to read about. Because we didn't have internet, so we got these press releases and started reading newspapers that they're in, the, the music press and that. And the music sounded all right, but in the interviews that I read, they, they sounded like a right load of cocky bastards, right? <laughs> and we said to Paul, I think we're all like, they're full of it, these aren't they? Read this here. And we said to Paul, like, well, um, we'll take them out on the road with us, but if, they, you know, if, they, if they're out of order, you know, we're going to give it them because they sound like a bunch of twats. 
you remember any of this? Because he did. You and first then it came through, didn't it? The first <laughs> interviews were quite aggressive. I think they're not aggressive. Confrontational. Well, cocky in the in a confident way. Yeah, but yeah. then Oasis came and Absolutely. blew that out of the water, didn't yeah. it? Really, you know. But you created Oasis. <laughs> so anyway, so we, do, we we said, well, we'll take them on, but you know, tell them to be careful and that. And I think the first gig, I think it was Wolverhampton. Was it on the tour? My first recollections, I thought, was Glasgow, because that's where I kind of remember meeting you properly for the first time. Was that dressed as a banana? banana. Yeah, yeah, that was Glasgow, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's another story, anyway. But this first gig on the tour, I'm sure it's somewhere in the Midlands, and we were sound checking the Inspirals, and then, like happens a lot of time when you're sound checking, the the support band arrive, and they all walked in, I'm like, here we go, fucking hell, look at these Herberts here. Stay to this. Well, I look at each other. They're here. Look at them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got on brilliantly. And it's 22 years now, and he's still one of my best mates. From that moment back then, I mean, all the band just got on great. Well, funnily enough, we toured together just last December, didn't we? That's right, and, yeah. and every time that we were play- uh, sound checking and you came in, we we're like, that oh, bloody hell, look at those herbits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> These old bastards. They've bloody aged. <laughs> <laughs> what are your best memories of... Because uh, it, it all happened pretty quick for Shed 7, didn't it? From 94, when you started gigging roughly with us lot, and then through to 96, 97, it happened pretty quick, well, didn't it? Well, it did, yeah. I mean, we weren't particularly prepared in that respect but we had been around for a long time so it was you know I mean coming from York not a lot happens in York you know we, about 1990 we decided to take things seriously we'd, we'd all heard the first Stone Roses album and that was a big turning point for us and we all decided we wanted to take it a lot more seriously so we, we you know a lot of bands in York they play every week in front of the same people and it's just boring so we decided to, to do what the Stone Roses would do and make them events and play maybe twice three times a year and make a bit of a, a, a kind of event out of it and, uh, you know, start taking everything really seriously. Yeah. And from that point on, you know, as I say, with bands in York, I think a lot of them expect it's going to come to them, whereas we did the go to London, play in front of nobody, travel back through the night and get up for work the next morning. We yeah. did an awful lot of that. And funnily enough, Paul Adamer, you mentioned, who eventually signed us, actually signed us the Bull and Gate, I think it was, and apart from my mum and dad who travelled down to see us, it was the archetypal one fellow and his dog and the A&R man. But we walked out and we just pretended to be you too. You know, yeah. come on. And that actually got us signed, weirdly. Brilliant. So what are your best memories? Give us some, uh, any good anecdotes of that, right, right at the peak of your uh, career towards well, the end of the... I mean, obviously through the 90s, can't remember much about it, but, you know, there was an awful lot of the run-ins with Oasis. That was built up to be more than it was. I think... I don't know. Obviously, Oasis went on. I think they were, they were they got quite big, didn't they? They did all right. But for a time in the very early nineties, <laughs> we were releasing singles pretty much at the same time, and we were being written about. And I think there was a little bit of a kind of we're not sure about you. Yeah. So I do remember playing a joint gig with Oasis, which they would always say they were the headliners, but it was a joint gig. We just went on first. Right, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Like, like we did in December always. last year with you lot. <laughs> yeah, 17 <laughs> times. <laughs> a lot of people were saying to us in December, what are you doing supporting Shed 7? Oh, it's joint headline, but we're a bit older now. We want to get to bed early and that, so yeah. but we're letting them go on. And we're they did, and they did. We're letting the support man go on after us and that. Um, but, you know, we did this joint gig with them and, you know, we turn up and it's the first time we'd actually met them and we, it's a similar thing. They're, they're doing their sound check. We arrive and we're bringing all the gear in. Liam Gallagher struts straight over. You're not using your fucking backdrop. <laughs> You're not using your fucking drum riser. All of this. Oh, nice to meet you, Liam. Yeah, nice to meet you. But there's been so many of them. Yeah, there's another time in the Columbia Hotel before they got barred from it where... 
I travelled to London with a friend of mine to do a, like a weekend of press or something. So I stayed in that hotel and we just sat quietly in this very quiet bar area. Suddenly Liam comes in with three or four other fellas. And, you know, he's coming up to me. All right, Rick, how's your kids? You know, really friendly. And then it disappears for 20 minutes. I don't know what on earth he must have done in those 20 minutes. <laughs> But back down he comes, walks straight over to me, York shit. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Oh, so I'm thinking, right, whatever, Liam, you know, but then my friend, who is quite handy, took umbrage at that and is from York. So he's, he's getting up going, Burnage's shit. <laughs> so, so before, and there's an old lady else in the bar, and the bar had led to a kitchen which had one of these swinging doors, and the next minute they're both pushing each other through these bloody swinging doors. Like cowboys. But neither one of them wanted to do the first punch because I think they thought they wouldn't go in trouble but I only wish my mate had knocked Liam Gallagher out because that would have sold a lot more records for us Like 1997 when you were recording, um, was it Let It Ride album? Yeah. Yes. And I got a call. I was on my arse yeah. at the time, so I'd not done anything for a couple of years. In Spirals was split up in '95, and I was like trying to get re-established in music and on telly with music and doing all this kind of bollocks and that. And I got a call off these fellas saying, "Do you want to record uh, keyboards on a couple of tracks on our new album?" So this is when they were right at the peak, and I'm like, "Fucking too right." So I went down to London to record. Um, she left me on Friday. And yeah, Devil, you were Devil the organist on that and Devil in Your Shoes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, we did it at the Olympia Studios in um, Barnes. Barnes, yeah. Where, and who um, was working next door? Eric Clapton. Yes, uh, Tom, our bass player, nicked his bike for half an hour and took it round the streets. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I was leaving, I was packing my gear up and I said to I said, who's working in there? I think it was Alan who said, uh, it's Clapton. I'm like, no, Eric Clapton? He said, yeah, Clapton. And he took me in to have a look at all his gear, and all his guitars were there and everything. He'd gone home for night. Right, yeah. But all his gear was there, like fucking all Eric Clapton's guitar. Such a humble fella as well. Cause I, remember, I remember one afternoon we'd stopped for a little bit and we're all in this like restaurant area at the front of the studio. Suddenly there's just this quite small fella. Hi, I'm Eric. Hi, I'm Eric. It's like, yeah, I think we know that, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So you, we so you actually did uh, Top of the Pops with us as well? Top of the Pops, yeah. yeah I was good was that the She Loved Me on Friday one, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I anyway, didn't mind okay. it, didn't we? It's mine, Is it on YouTube? Go on yeah, YouTube, you'll see Clint. Yeah. Uh, I'm a good-looking one. <laughs> you'll see Clint miming, so she left me on Friday. Yeah. Because the only people who, well, certainly with, uh, with our band, whenever we, we did Top of the Pops ten times, by the way, and that's frustrating because uh, the youth of today, if, if ever there's an occasion at home where I've got bragging rights... <laughs> And, you know, they might, now that they're getting older, start being interested in asking stuff. It was such a massive programme, and I don't think people realise it, but it will come back one day, like Doctor Who came back. Yeah, yeah. I think Top of the Pops will be big, and it will be. The thing is, I'll, you know, I'll be asked questions by kids, and they'll go, you know what, tell us some stuff. I'll Top of the Pops ten times, and they'll yeah. go, what's Top of the Pops? It's like, bloody hell. In its day, it was like X Factor, wasn't it? That's the only thing I can yeah, think. Yeah. It was music-related. Well, growing up, on. weekly watching it, yeah. hoping one day to be on it. You yeah, know? and we did it. But anyway, um, I was always told by the producer that because he thought I had quite a good voice, he insisted that I sang it live. So even if we were doing Top of the Pops and Kylie was on it and she'd mime and then other acts would mime and then I'd always have to sing it live, <laughs> which was fine for me. 
And I even sometimes went out of tune on purpose so everyone knew I was singing it live because oh, nice. I'm yeah, that yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. But uh, it was a bit unfair because the rest of the band all mind. So yeah. I, they're all in the bar because at the top of the pops you had to be there at nine in the morning and do so many run-throughs throughout the day and then a, a costume shot, you know, and mm. different camera angles. So they'd just sit in the barrel there and get absolutely rat-assed and I'd just have to be like, oh, in the corner, bloody hell. Did you ever visit the, uh, the EastEnders set while we were Several there? times, I've got yeah. a lot of pictures of that, yeah. Yeah, I we've got that as well, yeah. yeah. yeah we, I... One night we were all pissing on the EastEnders sign because they had a sign low down on a wall. You know, like, they used to have it up here, but it was down on a wall like that in Albert Square. It's nice of you to do that. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Symbolic. We're at, we're Coronation at Street smells set. better. Let's piss on it. Yeah. Was it on fire? Let's uh, piss on oh, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, but we've got pictures of us piss, pissing on the uh, Albert Square sign. Right, nice. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? You've been invited back. No, that was last time <laughs> we did it. Um, so 2003, I think, was um, when you split up. I mentioned we'd split up 95, so eight years yeah, earlier. Yeah. When you came to split, you didn't fall out or anything. Was it that case of you couldn't justify carrying on full-time, etc.? Well, I think that's one of the reasons we decided to, because we didn't want to fall out. And, it, you know, we're all living in York still. It's a very small community. We were going for a little bit of a hard time, record label-wise. We'd been dropped off Polydor because uh, we weren't obviously making them enough money. We'd had a few run-ins with Polydor regarding Greatest Hits that we didn't think we were it was the right time to do that but luckily there was 15 of the buggers on there so that helped yeah you know because i you, well, you had 15 think, top 20 records didn't you did, yeah well, t- the thing is players. you see greatest hits these days in glaziers or whatever it's called there's two hits on it and yeah, about yeah. 15 songs you've never what heard of it's called the greatest hits so you know i mean we, we kept having run-ins with them and then it got to the point where doing this greatest hits in 1999 and they wanted us to write two new songs to help promote the greatest hits mm. and those two songs became disco down and high hopes so we released disco down that did all right and the plan was then to release high hopes as the second single to promote this greatest hits and they yeah. turned around and said we'd, we'd i think we'd rather you re-release going for gold as a single and yeah. it had only been out three years previous so i think you know how much do you want us to rip off the people who buy our records you know mm. just so that you can make a bit more money yeah so we kind of point bank refused that and then before you know it we dropped right, okay so wait, did they put <laughs> so that, I that's the out? danger just just agree with your major label yeah <laughs> but the weird thing there is we play high hopes a lot and it to me it feels like a great lost single because i mm. believe if we had have released that it could have turned us in a whole new new direction yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's really frustrating that you know you ne- yeah never got a chance to find out no. And it goes down very well live, so yeah, that yeah. just goes to show. I'm just getting flashbacks to that amazing tour that you did in December. You, your band is still on fire. It was, it was a ever. great tour, wasn't it? And it's funny, the older we get, I don't know whether it's because there's nothing to prove, mm. you know, and uh, we're just... And the fact that, you know, we'll maybe put a tour on sale in April and it, we're not doing it till Christmas. Yeah. And I'll maybe do some local interviews for the towns we're going to, the local newspapers, in July 
and the people who are interviewing me going, oh, yeah, my boyfriend's bought six tickets, he can't yeah, wait. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's not till December, it's crazy. Yeah. So the anticipation is throughout the whole year. So yeah. obviously by the time we're there, it's the money shot, isn't it? And the other thing is, it's like your life doesn't depend on it anymore. I'm speaking through experience, like what it was like with the Inspirals at 99 to when we were a full-time band and we had to sell records, we had to sell gig tickets. But now the Inspirals all way of working it's more relaxed and there's less well there's nothing to prove is there you, you know you can do it and you know that there's a fan base out there who will love to come to see you do it so it's a win-win you know, yeah. the only way it can go wrong is if you do a really bad gig That's or if you die way. or if you die yeah of yeah. course that, that doesn't help it might help him who <laughs> <It> should <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know I can't, yeah. I can't possibly say that <laughs> live on podcast so back to 2003 when you split how was that period immediately after that because you'd been on that crest of that big wave you'd, you'd helped to create Britpop really hadn't you? you you were one of the defining bands of well Britpop. at the time we didn't really think that I mean it was all very sad um, none of us knew what would happen next and as I say we didn't want to fall out so obviously we still kept in touch throughout this but yeah it was a bit of a dark time to be honest you know mm. I, I didn't really know what to do I formed another band and quite clearly people just want Shed 7 you know I mean I went around the country playing in smaller venues but and, and wrote quite a good album with a band called The Dukes yeah uh, but obviously people just wanted to hear Shed 7 so it's increasingly people saying oh will you play that will you play that mm. and I felt a bit bad for the rest of the band because obviously it's not Shed 7 you know but yeah. it's the nature of the beast so I, I took a few years out and pushed a pram for quite a long time. I was going time. to say, you're very prolific in the baby-making department, yes, weren't you, for a yeah. little while there? Yes, there was nothing else to do. <laughs> There's no songs to write. You could have gone to a train museum in York. <laughs> well, I've been there. Brilliant In place. fact, I think one of them was conceived in there. <laughs> <laughs> the bullet train. The bullet train. Oh, it was fast, believe yeah. me. <laughs> I always seem to phone you up when you're on the school run, actually, don't I? Yeah, well, you should know by now. You know what time the school run is. I, I set my alarm. I'm just you're about school. I'll just phone him yeah. now. He's out of breath. Like, well, it's quite. Oh, cool. I'll phone him back in a minute because I'm just on school run. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm in the playground. Clint. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Boone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it is funny the school run though, isn't it? When you've been on top of the pops, it's funny suddenly. Um... Well, it's. I mean, York now. I mean, it, to be honest with you, in the nineties, when we were in the charts a lot, I, I always felt a little bit threatened, especially on a night. Yeah. If you're walking around town, because there was incidents where people weren't very nice. Ever since then, you know, it's, it's a really nice place to be now for us. I think we looked at a lot differently. Yeah. You know, I think people appreciate what we did, you know. Yeah. But at the time, it was a bit hairy. You know, I used to have to uh, pick my roots. There was one, uh, I don't know how famous this story is, but the song Ocean Pie was written about what I would imagine it's like to be on heroin. Never right. done it. So it's coming out from a different perspective of what I would imagine. So what's it like to let the feeling flow and all this. Yeah. Uh, and I said that in an interview at some time. And then the next thing, I'm walking down Parliament Street, which is the main street in York, about half past ten at night. And I'm with a friend. And then suddenly there's two really dodgy-looking blokes and a girl confronting me. How can you? How dare you write a song about something you've never done? He's on heroin and he knows more about it than you'll ever will. So, well, wow. Fine, take that. I don't mind that. But it, <laughs> it got to the point where fists started flying, you know, and it's all about the words that I wrote. I mean, it's nice to get a reaction, but yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to end in I think that's a bit. That's a bit 
That's a very isolated sort of example, isn't it? Because footballers probably get a lot of negativity, don't they? But in music generally, it's like people that want to talk to you are positive because they like what you're doing or they respect what you're doing. And people that don't like your music won't step or call to you. They'll just walk away, won't they? Yeah, well, that's the best thing to do. I'm not bothered. I'm not interested. You know, if, you don't, if I don't like something, I'll just walk away from it. What's, yeah, yeah, the, point yeah. in, what's the point in antagonising? Yeah, you know? if you don't like it, I don't. mean, there was another occasion. There was a, a club uh, called Ziggy's, I think it was called, or Toffs. And me and Alan just after going for gold came out in 96 we're at a loose end decided to go to this club uh, and I think the DJ must have seen us come in so he put going for gold on and the people that were on the dance floor actually lay down <laughs> 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 so we thought well fuck this so we just kicked a few on the way out <laughs> and went to the pub around the That's corner brilliant so the band reformed in 2007 so you're only apart for like four years or something weren't you and then you got back on the road yeah we were I think we all just totally missed it I mean, the reason why we did reform in the first place came from Alan uh, I think we were all out just having a drink and he, he just said what would you think about maybe just you know doing three or four gigs in the main cities in the country mm. get on a bus just solely for the hell of it just to see what it's like yeah and the reaction was crazy just went through the roof we had to add about an, an extra 24 gigs we had to upgrade the venues and it was only at that point that I realised that what we did originally actually meant something. Because yeah. in the 90s when we were doing it, you're just here, then you're there, then you've got to do that, and then you've got to be over there, and it's just never any time to stop and think. So, you know, we're writing on standby, and we're writing Disco Down, and we're just doing it, you know what I mean? And then it's, it's actually really satisfying, in a way, to know that what we did actually meant something to people. Absolutely, yeah. History's been dead kind to you, hasn't it? As with our band as well, yeah, I think. so, yeah. I think the years have been very kind. That's a very yeah. good way of saying it, yeah. And you, 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 since then, you've been gigging every 12 months, 18 months or whatever. You're still out doing a big sellout well, we tours. Do, and yeah, we do every other Christmas. We choose Christmas because it's just a great time of year. Everyone's like winding down. Yeah, it's nice to get holidays. a bit of extra wedge in it for presents, not for well, kids. It's necessary. Especially when you've got 23 got, yeah, kids like you. Got. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still enjoying it? I mean, I said, like, I saw you in December and you're still on fire. You're still on top of your game in terms of live performance. I think it's very important. I think the minute that any one of us decides that we can't give it 100%, let's just stop doing it. Yeah. No, you can't beat it if there's a, a room full of people and they're just looking like they're just having so much fun and singing every word back at you yeah you can't go wrong you'd be daft wouldn't you if you didn't want that absolutely yeah. have you got plans for more gigs at any point soon then we're in talks about doing 2017 Christmas so this, the thing is it's become a bit of a habit now with us mm. I think if we did it every year people might think right well I'll tell you what I won't go this year I'll go yes. next year and if you go down that route you suddenly play in smaller venues and it doesn't look as good yeah. so you've got to be quite savvy and canny with it uh, we're doing a few gigs through this year but you know I mean there is there has been talk about writing some new stuff and, and that's becoming progr progressively closer and right, okay. you know I'm always writing ideas down the thing is I can't play any instruments so right. it frustrates me but there's always melodies there's always words knocking about they just yeah. need hammering together I can, I can knock out some tunes for you I've heard you can knock one out yeah you know mate I like knocking one I'll knock one out for you anytime Rick <laughs> well my wife's left me <laughs> <laughs> sorry Charlie I don't mean actually knocking one out for him. <laughs> I meant writing a song. So, um, <laughs> and for those people listening in California, knocking one out in Manchester means... Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about something else we've got in common. We're both radio presenters now, aren't we? Yeah, our lives... Well, I seem to be following your life. Yeah, yeah. yeah Am I sort of a mentor to you, Rick? I think you are. I think I look up to you massively. Am I a father figure? <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. No, but it is ace. I love doing uh, this. Ra- I mean, I only do it... It's a two-hour-a-week show on a Sunday yeah. night on a local radio station. But in this day and age of digital, you know, you can, you can pick it up anywhere. Minster FM, Sundays, 7 till 9, disco down. Yeah. Yeah, be careful. Uh, Clint Boone's X list on Radio Minster X. Minster FM, uh, yeah, eight, 7 till 9, eight, disco down. 97.7 yeah. FM. 104.7 FM. Uh, text in 81222. Swat. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been doing that? When did you start doing that? It's coming up to my third year, my third, third anniversary now, oh, and brilliant. I'm still rubbish, but I'm loving it. I'm loving and doing it. And you're playing new music as well as classics. The thing that I love the most about it is I can play whatever I want, as long yeah. as obviously there's no massive swearing in it. That's the thing that I love to do about it, and I wouldn't do it otherwise. You yeah. know, I just love the... I'd obviously, I spend quite a lot of time through the week planning a two-hour show, but... I just love the fact that if I've got my iPod or my iPad there and I'm just sifting through, oh, yeah, I'll just put yeah, that yeah. Pixies B-side on next. It's just yeah, brilliant. brilliant. It's a lovely feeling. And more so if people then get in touch saying how good it is and they'd never heard that song and they're going to yeah. go and investigate more. It's just brilliant. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm some type of music guru, but yeah. just spreading the word, it's brilliant. Is radio one of those things? Because I think when you're a musician like us, a recording artist, and you can't always rely on that being your, you know, your main gig, is radio something that you could see yourself doing full time? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an extension, you know, and it, it makes sense, really. You know, I mean, yeah. and it, it is becoming a lot more common. You, Jarvis Cocker, you know, yeah. um, uh, Keris Matthews, yeah. Guy Garvey, Guy Garvey, yeah, Iggy yeah. Pop. I mean, there's loads of them who are doing it now. Yeah. So, Musicians yeah. that have gone to radio. Yeah, yeah. I think that's because the public are tiring of. We've had decades of these radio presenters that do a certain type of radio and talk down the nose at you and I think it's suddenly the public are realising they'd rather listen to somebody that's made some records and done some gigs and, and tell stories about, tell stories yeah, and then yeah, yeah, about yeah. new music or whatever so. yeah and if anyone's a fan of Shed 7 or, or even remotely likes us they're going to find it more interesting than someone who's not interested at all yeah. but it's about time the new guard for radio because the old ones they were dodgy weren't they yeah oh yeah, absolutely yeah. let's go back to that tour in December because it felt like um it felt like the completion of a circle which started in 94 or whatever when you walked into that sound check and I thought, <laughs> look at these knobheads here. And then there we are in uh, Isle of Man or wherever, the first gig on that tour and we walked into the sound check and you were all looking at us. And it was like, it was a, a completion of 22 years circle that had been completed, I thought. Yeah, yeah, very weird. Yeah, I mean, obviously we thought of asking you and we were quite grateful that you, you said you would because we yeah. just knew it would be a good laugh. Absolutely, start, yeah, you know, spot but, on. Yeah. I don't think people see that, that brotherhood. Well, maybe they do now. Maybe they do. Maybe something like this explains why, yeah. why it was right for us too because a lot of bands we wouldn't have done that with. There's a funny story, actually, when we came home from the Isle of Man. Have any of you ever been on the Isle of Man ferry? Don't. It's horrible. So going out there, it was all right, and everybody's like, oh, you're going to die. It's, you know, this time of year is the worst time of year to get on the Isle of Man ferry from um, Olliehead or whatever to Douglas, is it? And the, the, these trip out there was all right for us. And then coming back the next day, we sat on the boat at the dock, 
and the weather was a bit rough, but it felt all right. It was, it was all, early morning as well. Yeah, it felt it's... stable. You know, we'd all been up all night drinking, but it was steady. As soon as the boat pulled away from the dock, like the second, it just it was immediate. Went wasn't down, it? wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Just you know, the people like women flying over and blokes crying and people. You know, he's, he's not kidding. There was a woman in the bar area who went absolutely flying, knocked her head out on the floor, and then there's people who are working on the boat trying to get to her. There was actual blood coming out of her head. And it turns out then that there was, over the tannoy, they were calling for this woman's daughter to come and help, but she's in another bath being sick into this bag, so she couldn't, she wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> but it was awful, wasn't As it? I got on the boat, right, so before it set off, but before it started getting all hellish, I walked past Alan Leach, the drummer, and he was sat there all smug with his MacBook out and his little DJ portable equipment, like, doing virtual DJ. And I'm like, all right, Alan. Anyway, so we walked past. We, we went and sat a different part of the boat for whatever reason from the Sheds crew. And as the boat set off and did this big lurch, <laughs> and then our, our roadie, Liam, uh, Liam Lister, quite new to the rock and roll trade, he's only about 18 or something, and he comes over to me and says, oh, fucking hell, man, I've just spilled my entire coffee over some DJ's MacBook over there. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> You're not, seriously? He says, yes, it's some virtual DJ shit, fucking coffee's gone all over it. I said, that's Shed Seven's drummer, Alan. <laughs> anyway, so then we set off, and it was, it was a ride from hell. I mean, I thought we were going to die. I mean, I, I'd had um, one of them little travel sickness pills. <laughs> Snidey bastard, I brought an M with me, I thought I'm having this. It's rock and roll, so I had that, anyway. Oh, how times change. So I, I didn't feel, um, <laughs> I didn't feel sick at all, mate, I, just, but I, just, I was convinced we are all going to die together on this fucking boat. Which would have been a great news story, wouldn't it? Shed Seven and Sparrow Carpets all die together. It would have been a great story. It would have been, been like the Buddy Ollie and Richie Valens of, of this <laughs> on generation. On a ferry, how romantic. But not quite as big news, probably, would it? Yeah, no it probably would have been page five, wouldn't it? Or on yeah. the news, and finally, do you remember Shed Seven and Sparrow Carpets? <laughs> anyway, so, as I said, we, we were camped at a different part of the boat than these lot. And then when it all started kicking off, gradually they started coming past, so Banksy came getting escorted past by some stewards and he was like that, he was pale, he was nearly crying, he had his sick bag, and oh, I'm never fucking doing this ever again, mate. So he was off to be chaperoned into some little um, first aid area to be sick and that. But then Alan came over and he stood there like that. I'm all right, mate, I feel all right, mate. And he's in his sick bag, right, he'd not been sick yet. I'm all right, mate, like holding court, and we're all that, fucking trying not to think about death. And then all of a sudden, after about five minutes, he said, I'm all right, mate, I'm not gonna, he just went, oh, Hop, hop. Oh, it's coming. I can feel it. And he started doing the noisiest vomiting. He's oh, the worst it's person It's fucking incredible noise. It's like... Oh, yeah. It was like that, wasn't it? Yeah, I've heard that many a time. It's it, absolutely crazy. Incredible. Yeah, crazy. Should and, record and it. Paul, should record Paul it. Is, uh, Make a techno yeah, track. Hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Intro to the new album. <laughs> it's amazing, though. I, I don't know how physically well, you can make that noise in you. Well, Paul, as well, he's, he is a bad traveller. Wherever he is, he's, he's one of these. He's mm. terrible. You know, he can't sit backwards on a train. You know, he needs leg room wherever he is. It's terrible. <laughs> We're all in the same boat, so to speak, you yeah. know. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm, I can't go on that, but I'm going to get a plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my highlight of the two, you know, with all respect to the great gigs that we both did. I think the sound of Alan Leach spewing his ring piece up on the Isle of Man Ferry. That was, was the highlight of <laughs> yeah. playing with us. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks yeah. very much. <laughs> it was brilliant. So we've talked about what's next for the band. What about you personally? Are you going to have any more kids or have you stopped now? I can't. It's an impossibility. Oh, is it? It can be reversed. Well, it can. I did, when I went to have that done, I didn't realise it was actually at my local doctor's surgery. Right. I thought it would be at the hospital for some reason. <laughs> so, uh, I can't believe I'm telling this story. 
I went to, to my local doctor's got surgery. Uh, well, funnily enough, that's funny <laughs> you say that because uh, they did the final check over to make sure everything was all right, which it was. So I'm lay there. There's two fellas here with a massive needle doing what they need to do. And there's two lady nurses stood here because mm. I'm not asleep. So they're just keeping me occupied. <laughs> so they're just chatting away. So what do you do for a living, love? Oh, I'm in a band. Oh, anything, anyone we might have heard of? Uh, Shad Seven. Hey, Sandra, get the camera. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> Sandra, no. <laughs> I've, had that, I've had that same thing, mate. I've had, um, I had to have surgery. I had a ruptured appendix a few years ago, over Christmas it was, and uh, I got peritonitis as well, so I was in hospital, it was quite serious. And they had to operate. Before they realised what it was, they were putting me under. And this nurse, I was leaning on her like that, while they injected me and everything. And as I was drifting off, she just said, by the way, I'm a massive fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, if, if that's me dying, that's probably a nice way to go, actually, isn't yeah, it? That's you know what I mean? nice to me, yeah. <laughs> Snuggle in some <laughs> where, worse breast while she tells me I'm, I'm a fan. Where, anyway, where did you wake up? Uh, in I, a, I, I in woke her up. back bedroom. Funny enough, I woke up after <laughs> surgery. It was all a bit scary, but I woke up, and I'm like that, all groggy, and I looked down the ward, and my mum, was flat out on the floor. She'd just fainted. Yeah, she'd arrived. She was flat out there. My wife was here upset, obviously, because it was all a bit traumatic, but NHS saved my life, so good one for that. That had an happy ending, didn't it? Nice, yeah. yeah, yeah. I like an happy ending. He's still here. He's still uh, here. Before we wrap up, I think we should have maybe two questions from the audience for Rick. Uh, if anybody's got a question... Go easy on me, won't you? And step forward, we'll put a mic to your face so it gets recorded on... Oh, Oscar Boone, We've done boy. the vasectomy, we don't Oscar. need to go there anymore. <laughs> Oscar, come over here, talk down the mic. <laughs> he's, he's been listening to music on his uh, iPod. He's studying guitar, drums and bass guitar. What's the question? When are we going home? <laughs> <laughs> when are we going home? About oh, ten minutes, give When me five. can we all go That's home? Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Anybody else got a question? <laughs> no. So, yeah, me. When are we going home? <laughs> yeah. Can I, I go now, please? <laughs> Priceless. Can I just it. say, uh, Bully Boy, yeah. the, the cover star of the single for Bully Boy, uh, it says to say hello. Oh, okay. He's a big fan of Who your he? podcast. Uh, he's called Ez, David Heron. Brilliant. It's that chap. And the Tell funny thing is, when, when we had that picture taken, he was probably 23, 24 maybe. Yeah. And we made him dress up in a schoolboy's uniform. Oh, brilliant. Shorts, cap, blazer. Wouldn't we, be first time, would it, Rick? <laughs> well, we, we actually hired <laughs> it from a fancy dress shop in York. <laughs> and uh, another friend was taking the picture, and it was taken in my front room of the time against a white wall. So me and Ez, the lad who was being bully boy, yep. had to go to this fancy dress shop and ask for a school uniform <laughs> that fit him. <laughs> and he was quite a big chap. And the looks that we got oh, brilliant. were quite mental. It's for a photograph, honest. honest. But right. he says to say hello anyway. Right, so a question from the audience, please. Somebody step forward and... Uh, everybody go on, come over here. What's your name, first of all? It's Sarah. Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Um, how many children do you actually have? Well, I've got four of my own and two steps. So it's not that many. When he says 23, I think he just can't count. Okay. I was just wondering. He's the oldest. Hello. This Alfie. Alfie over there. Alfie Witter. Uh, and then you had another one of them up on stage, didn't you? At the Leeds yeah, gig. Yeah, Duke got with me. Duke, yeah. a Duke that got with yeah, me, yeah. Yeah, he did, That was yeah. nice, that nice moment, that, wasn't it? What happened was, you, he was at the front watching you playing. I was on the balcony looking down. You had already mentioned that you might say something to him 
So he was kind of expecting for you to say hello or something, but you got him to climb over the, bar uh, the barrier, secure him and lift him onto the stage. He's sat on your stool next to you, and then you're asking him what it's like to have a dad as a rock and roll star. <laughs> to which he's... What did he say? It's all right. So, it's all right. <laughs> so Clint then had a little word in his ear so nobody else could hear and then said to Duke again, what's it like to have a dad as a rock and roll star? And then Duke just went, it's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> in front of a thousand people. Two thousand, thank Two you. Two thousand, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was your hometown, wasn't it? Leeds, well, ish, hometown-ish. Right, listen, we're about done. So first of all, massive round of applause for Rick Witter. Oh, thank you. Cheers, thank you. Um... Thank you again to Reg True Barbecue, Distorted Productions and Piston Ed Lager at the back. They've probably got some lager left if you want to finish it off before he gets off. Um, I always do a Spotify playlist for each episode of Storytime, so there's loads of tunes on there. There'll be a lot of the Shed 7 stuff that we talked about, particularly the ones that I played on. And like I said, I'm going to take a break for about four weeks while we get this Mrs. Boone tea party up and running. And I always like to end every episode with a piece of unsigned music and the band that you're going to hear in a moment in the room and in your headphones if you listen to this podcast in the future. A band called Maruja, four lads from Manchester, they're only 18 years old and I've seen them twice in the last few weeks and I just think that they've got massive potential. It's all a bit shambolic at the moment, what they do, but I do think that they stick together. It could be like a 10cc or a talking heads kind of thing, what they will become in the future. I'm going to leave you with a track called So Smile, from Maruja, thanks for listening, and once again, thank you to Rick Witter. Let's do it. Thank you. Story time with Boone. Subscribe now on iTunes.
the KC future I said that'll bore me out of my mind And I struggle to be happy Cause of this pain in my heart But I think about something That I cannot change in the dial Subscribe, I hate just the one